You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. The longest running longitudinal study on human longevity revealed that the quality of our relationships is the most influential factor on how long we're going to live. Researchers at Harvard University who've been collecting this data for over 80 years have uncovered that more so than exercise habits, family history of chronic diseases, or any other factor, it is our relationships that have the biggest influence on our health and our quality of life. Our relationships, a focus on building healthy relationships is like the ultimate biohack, the ultimate supplement, the ultimate fountain of youth to take a dip in, all rolled into one, and yet most of us have never been trained on what a healthy relationship really is and how to actually create one. So on this powerful episode, you're going to learn from six of the world's leading experts in building healthy relationships. This is a real masterclass on tapping into one of the most valuable things in our reality. So I'm so incredibly grateful to be able to share this with you today. Now, before we get to our experts, we're all looking for some sweetness in our lives. That's a fact. But there's some sweetness manipulators out there that are utilizing all of these highly refined, highly processed sugars and different chemical complexes all put together in a bed of lies to make us addicted to many of the sweet treats out there on store shelves. And things like soda, which is getting highly refined, concentrated forms of liquid sugar delivered into our bodies. What can we do? What if we need a little sweetness in our lives, specifically in our recipes or in our beverages? Where can we turn? Well, there's a certain sweetener that's naturally produced, naturally occurring, that's been utilized by humans for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And it's really impossible to classify this sweetener as a mere spice or a mere sweetener. There is something really remarkable about honey that makes it unlike anything else on earth. Unlike other sweeteners, raw honey has been found to actually improve our insulin sensitivity rather than creating insulin resistance. A recent study published in the peer-reviewed journal Nutrients detailed how raw honey can improve our fasting blood sugar levels, improve our lipid metabolism, and reduce the risk of heart disease. Additionally, the scientists noted that there's a vast array of antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties within honey. Research cited in the journal Evidence-Based Complementary and Alternative Medicine determined that honey antioxidants have nootropic effects. This means it is good for our cognitive function. Specifically, they noted memory enhancement, plus a randomized double-blind, placebo-controlled study revealed that honey was able to outperform a placebo and significantly reduce cough frequency and severity at night and improve sleep quality. I put a little honey on it, put a little sweetness into your day. There is nothing else like it in the category of sweeteners, 
that provides benefits like this across the board for a variety of different aspects of our health and our performance. So I highly recommend switch over completely, jump onto the honey train. If you're going to be utilizing a sweetener primarily, this is the one to go for. And quality is of the utmost importance because unfortunately today, there are a lot of contaminants found in honey, even organic, conventional honey, absolutely, but also organic honeys as well. And so there's one company that's doing third-party testing for common toxicants that might be stowing away in your honey. And they're also dedicated to sustainable beekeeping. And I'm talking about the folks at Beekeepers Naturals. I utilize, and this is real talk, I utilize Beekeepers products literally every single day. I just had their nootropic brain fuel just before the show today. And I'm such a huge fan of them, integrity through and through. Definitely check out their superfood honey because again, there's nothing else like it. It has propolis in it. It also has a little bit of royal jelly, but the high quality honey is just in a league of its own truly. So pop over to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash model and you get 15% off store wide. That's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S naturals.com forward slash model. Again, 15% off store wide. And remember, once you go to Superfood Honey, you're never going to be tricked with anything funny. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Real talk again. Make sure to check them out. This is the very best honey in the world. Absolutely love what they're about. Beekeepersnaturals.com. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Top Notch Podcast by JFly2324. Sean is an awesome host on the Model Health Show. His story is truly inspirational and makes me want to not only be a better version of myself, but also a better husband and father. I am not a science guy, but he makes everything easy to understand. I have only been listening to the show for about a month now and have already begun to make some changes to my life to be healthier both mentally and physically. Keep up the good work. I absolutely will. And thank you so much for sharing your story and your heart. And wow, thank you so much for also allowing me to be a part of your incredible world. And again, we are just getting warmed up. We've got so much in store for you coming up. So make sure to stay tuned for more and listen. If you've yet to do so, pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for The Model Health Show. It really does mean so much. And now let's get to this incredible compilation focused on creating more love, connection, and happiness in our relationships. Now we're going to kick things off with the New York Times bestselling author, someone who is an award-winning host and viral content creator. He has billions billions of views on his videos and truly somebody that just walks the talk and I'm talking about none other than Jay Shetty. Now in this segment, Jay is gonna be sharing with you why we need to intentionally create our own collective values in our close relationships, what the quote spark is in a relationship, what it really is, how something called the halo effect can cause us to misread the qualities and characters of a person and so much more. This is so good. Remember, this is just the first of six leading experts in building healthy relationships. We're kicking this off with New York Times bestselling author, Jay Shetty. 
we talked today about how loneliness is like the same as smoking, I think, like 15 cigarettes a day. Like that's the, the comparison that's made. And so loneliness can be really, really tough. And so when we're lonely, we kind of settle for being with anyone because we'd rather settle than be lonely. The pain of being alone is so strong that we'd rather just find a way to have someone else who makes us feel better. Now, when you're with that kind of a person, I think what you're referring to is this idea that we see love as certain things. So maybe you see love as compliments. Maybe you see love as validation. Maybe you see love as affection. Maybe you see love as love letters. Maybe you see love as someone doing the dishes for you. Maybe you see love as someone making sure your place is clean. Like we all have these very specific ideas of what love is based on how our parents loved us, based on how our first partner loved us. I call it first love syndrome. Like the people that first loved you have trained you in how you think what, about what love is. So now when you meet someone, they could be doing so many other things to love you, but because they didn't do the dishes at night, you feel they don't love you. Because that was how your parents showed you that love was there. Me and my wife went something similar like this. So in my house, and I'm, I'm using really simple ideas and examples because most relationships crumble because of really basic things. When you sure. look at people who get divorced, when you look at people who break up, it's not always something like, oh, they cheated on me, or it's not always as like they stole my money. Like it's not that extreme. It's often like, well, we just couldn't see eye to eye. We just couldn't get along. They didn't understand me. Like that's what you'll hear. And so with me and my wife, in my house, if you had a dinner, you'd have dinner, then you'd hang out and you'd clean up late at night. Cause that's how we did it in my house. Now in my wife's house, you'd have dinner you'd clean up everything and then you'd hang out. And so when we first got married and we first started throwing events and parties and having our friends over, I'd be hanging out with all my friends after dinner, chatting, you know, hanging out. And she'd be like, well, Jay, we've got to do the dishes. Like, let's do it right now. And I'd be like, I don't want to do it right now. Like, I, I want to do this, like relax. <laughs> but the thing is, it wasn't that she was talking or I was talking, we were yeah. both talking from how we were trained. Right. We felt an evening went. And so we would feel upset because she would start washing the dishes. I'd then feel guilty right, that I right. wasn't helping her wash the dishes. Then after the night was over, she'd be upset with me because I didn't help out. And I'd be upset with her that she was forcing me to leave our friends. And all of this could be solved simply by a conversation of what does it, what do you feel like when I don't wash the dishes? And where does that value come from? And for her, it's like, well, when you don't wash the dishes, I feel like you don't care about me and that you care more about relaxing than you do about cleaning. And I was like, wait, hear it from my angle. My angle is I do care about the cleaning, but I care about connecting first. And we need to rebuild a collective value mm. rather than bring our value from our homes. And so I often think about in relationships, we often think, we're bringing the bricks of our old home into a new home. And the truth is there's a bit of that. But the second part of it is we're building new bricks to put in this home together. Mm. And that's what people don't often want to do. They want to bring their old bricks, but they don't want to make new ones. And so now the house is just made up of old bricks and we've never found a way to build part of that home together.
this is got three little pigs vibes <laughs> right here big time man i love that story you know yeah. what it's so interesting you talked about even how we come together yeah it's so strange in our culture we don't really realize this but you even highlighted something called the context effect mm. right and so we're getting together with people under certain circumstances mm. and we can have these kind of delusions of what it's supposed to be based on that some of the studies blew my mind there's this incredible study that shows that when you go out on a date if you're both holding something warm you're more likely to have warm feelings towards someone I was just like, wow. So that's why we say, let's go out for coffee. Mm. There's a reason why going out for coffee is a chosen drink because it's like, oh yeah, our hands are warm. We feel warm feelings towards each other. Uh, some of those studies show that if you both walk out of a romantic comedy, you're more likely to feel you just crossed eyes with someone and you felt a spark or a connection. If you're at a wedding, you're more likely to fall in love or think that someone has affectionate feelings towards you because you're in that chemical zone, right? Mm. You're, you're having those experiences. One of the ones that stayed with me the biggest was, I was looking at the spark and chemistry because I think that's something that people pay so much attention to. And the research shows that when you first meet someone, you're not only experiencing excitement, but you're experiencing stress chemically. So you see someone and you think, they're so attractive. Do they think I'm attractive? excitement, stress. You see someone and you go, oh, they're walking over here, I'm excited. Will they talk to me? Stress. You think, oh my gosh, I just messaged them, I got their number, I'm so excited. Oh God, they haven't replied in two hours, I'm stressed. And what happens is that what we're saying is the spark is excitement and stress at the same time. There's this tension that feels really unnerving, but in a fun way. And the science shows that what happens is as you start to spend more time with someone, one month goes by, two months goes by, their company reduces your stress. So now what's happened is when we say the spark went away, all that actually went away was the stress because you now actually feel comforted by their company because they no longer stress you out. And it's crazy because we all look at that and we go, oh my God, the spark went, we lost the buzz, I don't feel that way about them anymore. No, the stress went away because they make you feel safe. They make you feel comfortable. You feel at ease with each other. And so we keep chasing stress, just like we do it in work, yeah. right? We know some people that are addicted to stress. They love the stress of work. We do that in love. We just want to be with someone new all the time because we enjoy that stress. Yeah. But that's not a healthy addiction. It's, it's unhealthy to be consistently stressed. It's all happening in our own head. All happening in our own head and in our body. It's chemical, right, right? Right, it's chemical. It's all chemical. We have this subconscious belief, again, like somebody is doing something to us, right? They're sprinkling some kind of love <laughs> dust on us, but it's all happening. And this, the context effect actually happened with my wife and I because I was working at the university gym that we both went to, and she came in, and I'm working with my clients, and I noticed this young lady just like, she's dedicated. She's coming in pretty much every day, She's really just focused over there, running on the treadmill and, you know, lifting, dabbling with the weights and, all, and that kind of thing. And over time, you know, I would see her and I would just like notice like, oh, wow, she's really getting after it. Mm. And one day, you know, I was just finishing up with a client and she was on the most awkward machine in the gym, that abductor machine, <laughs> right? And she dropped her headphones. So I went and picked them up for her. And she said, thank you. And I noticed a slight, just a tiny bit of an accent, her being from Kenya. And I guess that impressed her. And the next thing you know, we end up talking and the, the rest is history. But I, my, me meeting her in the gym and seeing her coming to the gym, I thought, okay, this is a great match. Like <laughs> we're gonna be, 
working out together. We're about this fitness life. She was just doing that to get in shape to go to Miami wow, for her friends. Wow. After that, when we got together and I'd be like, hey, you want to go to the gym? Never again, <laughs> like for a year, Jay. And so it started to like, it started to get it on my nerves. Like yeah. I kind of felt like I was catfished. Yeah, I was gym fished, yeah. <laughs> right? Because of the context that we met under. Yes. But over time, of course, she understood my values and also, you know, kind of doing her own internal work. And we have that match and yeah. we find places where she likes what she is doing fitness wise and and me as well and then we also found connection doing it together yes with some things but we had we had to create our own blocks i'm so glad that's such a great like real life story and example of exactly what we're just talking about now and and i think what we do is we take exactly what you just did in that scenario if you don't mind me saying it's like you see someone in the gym you're like i love the gym they love the gym and now you start painting a story and the story is like oh we're gonna go to the gym together we're gonna work out buddies together like we're accountable together but it's like you never got to check what that person's intention was for being there. And I think so many relationships last that way or start that way where you never even asked the person why they were there hmm. or what they were there for yeah. or what's important <laughs> to them. And so in the book, I talk about the three date rule. And what I mean by this is it's not your first three dates, but somewhere you want to have these three dates. It could be across three months. It could be across a year. But these three dates have to happen at some point in your dating timeline. The first date is vibing with that person's personality. Do you enjoy each other's company? Do you like each other? Do you have things to talk about? Do you feel like you connect? That's natural. We know that. The second date that I don't think we ever talk about, it's what you just talked about, is do I respect their values? So if her value was to get fit to go to Miami, do you respect that? Can you respect that? Or actually, do you not respect that? And we never even get to that stage because we never even know what someone values. We assume that someone's actions or their behavior displays their values. Mm. If you see someone at a soup kitchen, you think, oh, they must be so charitable and they must be so generous. That person could be there because their company forced them to be there. That person could be there because they didn't have anything else to do that day and their friend dragged them along. Or they could be there because they really care. Right. But knowing the value is so important. But what we like to do is it's called the halo effect where we ascribe certain qualities to someone based on something we like about them. So if we find someone attractive, we say they must be trustworthy. If we think someone's good at talking or we enjoy the way they speak, we're like they must be organized. If someone has a good job or dresses well, we say, oh, they must be driven and focused. So we start giving them qualities yeah. that they haven't actually showed us they have. And we set ourselves up for failure because we're hoping for them to have more than they've actually told us they have or shown us they have. Our relationship health, our physical health and our mental health are all connected. And so we know when our mental health's better, we can try and have better physical health. When our physical health's better, our mental health improves. We know that. That correlation is very clear. I think the connection that's been missed is how our physical and mental health impact our relationships right. and how our relationship health impacts our physical and mental health. So you could be drinking your green smoothie, eating all your supplements and vitamins, having a healthy diet. But if you don't learn how to communicate with your partner, you could have a really difficult relationship. You can do all the things right for your body and mind, but if you haven't learned the tools and the skills 
to connect with your partner, that's not gonna solve your relationship. You can have the best physique in the world, you can have the best meditation practice in the world, you can have the best prayer practice in the world, but if you don't learn the skills of genuine intimacy with your partner, all of that does not just transfer over here. And I think that's often the mistake. Everyone thinks, oh, if I meditate, then I'm a better partner. If I, if I work out, then I'm a better partner. And I, I hear a lot of people are like, oh, I'm doing all the self-work, but my partner doesn't get it. They don't see that. And it's like, well, if you're doing self-work, that should make you more compassionate, more empathetic, more understanding of their pain. And the opposite's also true. You could have an incredible partner and an incredible relationship that has all the potential of being truly about love but if you're not taking care of your physical and mental health, you can't show up for your partner in the way that you want. Everything could be perfect about this person, everything could be right, but because you haven't figured out your own body and mind, you're gonna lose this person. And both are true, and so I think we talk a lot about the connection between physical and mental health, but I wanna add relationship health to that equation. Uh, same with success. I say this to people all the time, it's like, you could drive whatever car you want, you could live in whatever apartment or home you want. You could make as, money, as much money as you want. But if you argue with your partner every night, none of that is gonna feel worth it. You're gonna be in that car, arguing with yourself on the way to work. You're gonna be in that apartment, sleeping alone. And you're gonna be making all that money, not knowing who to share it with. And it's gonna make it feel worthless. So it's not about not having a car or not having money or not having a home, but it's about this skill also needs to be invested in. And that's what I'm doing with this book is I'm saying it's a skill set. Just like there's a skill set of becoming an entrepreneur, just like there's a skill set of becoming mentally and physically healthy, please see your relationship as needing a skill set. Do not just leave it to, if I find the right person, everything's gonna be right. All right, next up in our compilation dedicated to building healthy relationships, we have Christine Hassler, and she's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, master coach, podcast and television host, and she's committed to guiding people and organizations into their highest potential. Christine holds a master's degree in psychology, and she's appeared as an expert everywhere from The Today Show to CNN, Fox, PBS, the list goes on and on. And in this segment, Christine is going to be sharing why our relationship with ourselves is the primary driver of our relationships with others. Plus the truth about toxic relationships, jealousy, and much more. Check out this segment from the amazing Christine Hassler. Our, our outside world is a reflection of our relationship with our inner self. So if I have a crappy relationship with my inner self, if I'm judgmental of myself, hard on myself, not supporting myself, not lifting myself up, flaking on myself, breaking my word with myself, then going out and attracting a crew of people who are really supportive and really loving and, and positively reinforcing me and, and have integrity is more challenging because I'm not vibing at that level. Yeah, that's interesting. And so that's why we tend to stay in those, those more toxic relationships. And often they're familiar. So if you, again, if you grew up in a, um, let's say you grew up in a family where you had one parent who was um, incredibly critical of you, then you're gonna be kind of drawn to people that are more critical of you or that right. are- Is that like an addiction it's, of some it's, sort? It's, well, 
so as a kid, like we love our parents. Yeah. Like we, we come into this world and they're like our God, right? We, and so we pair love with however they love us. And so we think that that kind of criticism is familial. It's familiar and familial. Mm. And then the other part of it is whatever we didn't get from our parents, we go and look for as adults from people who are the same. So if I had an extremely critical father, I will be drawn to people, especially dating wise, mm -hmm. who are critical because I'm like, well, maybe I'll finally get you to love me. So how we stop doing all that is again, we go back and deal with the pain around having a critical parent and feel our feelings about that, forgive them. We don't have to call them up and be mm -hmm. like, I forgive you. you. You can if you want, but it's more you forgive the judgment you're holding. And this trips a lot of people up, Sean, because like, let's, let's up the ante. Let's not say it's criticism. Let's say it was abuse. And, and the, you, people will say, well, I can't forgive. That's a terrible thing. How could, how could a parent abuse a child? Like, that's awful. True. And you holding on to anger and resentment is only hurting you at this point. So forgiveness does not mean condoning it. Forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay that you hit me when I was five years old. Forgiveness means I'm letting go of the anger and the resentment and the judgment so I can be free. So I can be free. And when we can do that, when we can forgive the judgment that we have against anyone else, and we can go back and heal the pain and then reparent ourselves and be that loving parent to ourselves, then we stop looking for that outside. We stop looking for someone else to save us, someone else to solve us, solve it for us. We solve it ourselves, and then we can up-level the kind of people that we're attracted to. Did that whole arc make sense? Of course, I kind of like yeah. broke it down in, <laughs> in like a short little way, but yeah. So back to the original question about if you want a higher vibe tribe, it's two things. Look at what's going on inside of you, because it's just a reflection, and then boundaries. Like you can't say I want to be around positive people and continue to let negative people, toxic people, people that lie to you, people that break their word with you, get away with it. You have to start drawing some boundaries. And I, it's amazing how much people will hold on to the known just because like they're afraid to let go. They're afraid of that in-between, of, of that gap. Mm -hmm. When, you know, you can, something so amazing might be ahead of you, but you've got to let go of what's holding you back and know that there's like that in-between period yeah. and not be scared of that. Yeah. You know, I, opening the show, I mentioned a little bit about getting out of our own way, yeah. right? And I think that, you know, a lot of this stuff is self-inflicted, but it's, of course, it's very unconscious. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. it is conscious, like yeah. things are going well, let me do something to mess this up, yeah. you know? And going back on in this particular instance, because I think that and I know you feel the same way, that our relationships are an incredibly powerful influence on every area of totally. our lives. And I feel it's like the number one thing for our health is actually yep. our, our relationships. But I don't think that we often realize how, and I used this word earlier, how addicted we can be to things going bad. And, mm -hmm. and I know it sounds crazy, but it's just like when you start to get outside of that kind of standard kind of comfort zone mm -hmm. of just things not being ideal in your life and you start to like things start going well we'll do things to get us back to where yep. we feel comfortable like yep. we get addicted to bad relationships yep. as well yep yep it's, it's that saboteur that will come in 
that because it's it's scary, it's unfamiliar, and it, it, it's amazing how many of us have that little little voice, but it's a big belief of like, do I really deserve to be happy? Am I really good enough? Mm-hmm. And it's too good to be true. And we're so afraid of losing a good thing that we'll sabotage it first before like it can be taken away or it can go wrong. Right. We'll just, we'll sabotage it first because on some level, we don't think we were worth it. And it's funny, like I, I was um, opening a mastermind for a friend of mine last weekend and um, it was a business mastermind, but we were talking about like, what's the personal obstacle that's gonna keep you from getting to the next level of your business? And this one woman said, I just don't know that I deserve it. Like, I, you know? And so I said, okay, so look around this room right now and give everybody a number, one being not deserving, 10 being totally deserving of where they are on the scale. Just go around and assign everybody a number. She's like, I couldn't do that. I'm like, why? Obviously there's a scale because you're not deserving enough. So I just want to see how you rate mm-hmm. things. She's like, no, everybody's a 10. I'm like, well, aren't you special? <laughs> that, that everybody's a 10, but you're like, what, four, five? And it's, it, sometimes we really got to look at our beliefs and call BS on them yeah. and go, why would I be any less deserving than anybody else? That's not the way the universe works. It's just our mind getting in the way. And so we have got to become a a louder voice than the voice of our limiting beliefs. We have got to. And what really helps me is shifting outside of me and going, wait, like if if I think I'm not deserving, then I've got to think that about everybody else. And I don't think that about the world. So why would I see myself that way? Mm -hmm. Wow, that is powerful. You know, um, something I was just talking about this actually with my wife yesterday, who's over there looking pretty and absorbing everything. Physically Um, and energetically. She's very, very lovely. (laughs) So something that she really realized is that, um, you know, dealing with relationships that she had where, you know, friends who weren't like progressive Mm -hmm. or that were doing things that were, you know, kind of just shady stuff and just things that she just didn't really feel good about. But she kept dealing with it over and over and over again. And then she realized that this was actually her, it was her ego, like, I'm supposed to be the friend who's solving your problems, yeah. right? Talk about that. Yeah, yeah, well, that's another kind of identity we'll take on too, mm-hmm. is is little bit of the caretaker or like, oh, I, you know, I know all this great stuff about personal transformation, I'll save you, I'll help you, come with me. And one of the side effects of personal growth and raising our consciousness and our health is not everybody's gonna come along. Not everybody's going to come along and you have to be willing to let some people and some relationships go and know it's not your responsibility to go and caretake it because that can be another compensatory strategy mm-hmm. is let me just go save all these other people and then guess who gets the last straw? You mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And, you know, I remember one of my teachers saying this to me when I was going through my divorce. She's like, you have got to give people the dignity of their process. Like people are ready when they're ready and you've got to give them the dignity of their process and we can't change people. The best way I think we can impact people is we change ourselves. It's like why the Gandhi's quote, be the change you wanna see in the world is my favorite all time quote, cause it just nails it. I'm like, nailed it. Be the change you wanna see in the world. And then people can see it and decide to come along or, or not, right. but it's not our responsibility to drag anyone. Yeah, and I can't state this enough that one of the most pressing and terrible things you can do to yourself with your life energy is to try to get people to come along that don't oh. want to come 
right? So you have to have the audacity to let people be, you know, let people be who they are. And again, this gets back to that, what you stated earlier of, you know, um, that, that idea of everything is okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay how it is. This, this is, and that's okay. And it's really hard with family because I'm sure you see this a lot with your community too. Um, there's a lot of people that feel like black sheeps in their family. Like they're the only one kind of waking up. Yeah. And when it's your own family, even when it comes to like what they're eating and health and like you, you go home and you're like, please don't eat that. Like it's loaded with this and that and that and, and they just keep doing it. Yeah. And it, we have to, again, it's back to that, give them the dignity of their process. Loving someone isn't changing them. Loving someone is accepting them for where they, where they are being willing to be open and vulnerable if they come to you and just being the light, being the model of health, being the best version of you. I truly believe that is the best gift we can give anyone we love or the world in general Mm -hmm. is be the best version of yourself. And you only have so much energetic real estate. And if you're investing too much of it in changing other people, then you're not getting a high ROI on you because there's, there's nothing left. And how can you be the best version of yourself if your energy is scattered trying to save all these other people? Right. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing that because it just even hearing that in a different note, a different mm. tenor for people, um, that it, this is really, you know, life is not all about you, but it is, you know, like it starts with you. It is. And you can, when I, I, I view it as being self-honoring, you know, I, I, I am my biggest priority. And that may sound selfish. However, when I'm not my biggest priority, my health suffers. I can't help as many people as I, you know, I can't do the work I want to work. My mood suffers. I'm more irritable. Like everything suffers. And I love, you know, Lisa Nichols. Of course. Yes. So she's been I, on the show. I, I, maybe she said this on the show. I'll repeat it because it's just so good. She has so many just like, just, she just throws down such wisdom. She always says, I will only give to you from my saucer. So imagine a teacup, mm-hmm. right? And that means her cup has to be full Mm -hmm. and she will give to you from the overflow. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard her say that, I'm like, that is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it needs to be. Because when we have a full cup and we can give from the overflow, then it's not depleting. It's just love. It just just radiates off of us. I love that. And that's when you can just walk into a room. Like I've had the experience where someone just walks into a room and they're so full of love for themselves and, and they're just, at, they're living into their fullest potential and joy. And it just fills me up. Mm-hmm. Now, something else can happen when someone like that walks in the room. Sometimes we can feel jealousy or comparison. Come on. Sometimes. <laughs> but here's why that's good. Here's what we can do with jealousy and comparison. Because a lot of people just try to stop feeling jealous or stop comparing just by like, just don't do it. And that doesn't work. It's like saying, try to not think of a pink pig. That's all you're going to think right, about. Right. <laughs> that pink pig right there. He's a part of our show. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know. Uh, um, so whenever you're feeling jealous or comparing yourself to someone, it's a positive projection. So we've heard that if you really irritate me in some way, then it's something in me that I don't like about myself that you're triggering, right? That's a negative projection. But there's also something of a positive projection. So if you see someone that you're like jealous of or comparing yourself to, you're spotting something in them that you have inside of you that you're not owning, that you're not stepping into, that you're not realizing. So whenever I find myself jealous of someone, I look and I'm like, why am I jealous? Like when I look at you, like I'm jealous because, and I write it down and I'm like, oh, 
I'm not stepping into my full confidence. I'm not stepping into my full self-expression. I'm not stepping into my joy. Yeah. So that's how we can use jealousy and comparison as a way to remind ourselves what we need to see about ourselves. All right, I hope that you're enjoying this compilation dedicated to building healthy relationships and relationships are truly a thing of our heart. It's where we generally associate love to is the human heart. It's really something remarkable about it. And there's this heart brain connection as well. We know that the brain itself obviously contains a vast array of neurotransmitters that aid in communication between ourselves, but our heart also has a tremendous amount of neurotransmitter activity as well. Scientists have dubbed it the heart brain. All right, so we really do think in a manner of speaking with our hearts. And so with this association with love and with the heart and building a healthy relationship, but also a healthy relationship with ourselves and our own bodies, we wanna make sure that we're giving our heart the very best nutrition that we possibly can. Eating a diet rich in real, whole, nutrient-dense foods should be a given at this point. But what can we do to up-level things? What can we do to really add in things that have exceptional benefits for the health of our heart? Well, our heart is also associated with our cardiovascular health, our endurance, and our performance. And a study that was published in the Journal of Applied Physiology found that beet juice where all of that red juice can actually be extracted from, beet juice was found to boost our stamina up to 16% during exercise. They also found that the participants experienced less fatigue after training. And in addition, directly looking at the function of our heart and associated things like our blood pressure, a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study analyzed the effects of beet juice on blood pressure and endothelial function of older adults. At the end of the four-week study, the results demonstrated that the participants receiving beet juice had significant improvements in blood pressure and large vessel endothelial function. Now, you take beets, combine it with this next superfood, a meta-analysis of eight randomized controlled trials published in the journal Pharmacological Research detailed how pomegranates have antioxidant, antihypertensive, and anti-inflammatory effects. Pomegranates consistently normalize blood pressure in test subjects. Now these are just two of the incredible heart-based superfoods in the Organifi Red Juice formula. All organic, kids love it, adults love it alike, and this is one of the staple things that's on the shelf at my house that we've been utilizing for years. Head over to Organifi.com forward slash model and you're going to get 20% off their incredible red juice formula. Also, incredible bundles that they now have for you as well and 20% off store-wide. So even with those bundles, they're gonna have extra benefits and discounts that you can tap into. But off tops, the greatness of Organifi to provide us with 20% off is just so amazing. And for something that is so high quality and really special. And again, it's based on real hardcore science and its efficacy on the ingredients that they're using. So again, check out their red juice formula over at Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. 
Now moving on in our relationship compilation and how to build and sustain healthy relationships. Next up, we're gonna be hearing from best-selling author, master coach, and now the president of Success Magazine and Success Enterprises. And if we're talking about the domain of coaching and in particular in building healthy relationships, he's definitely top of my list. And I'm talking about the one and only Jarek Robbins. In this segment, he's going to be sharing the three components of great relationships, the fastest way to ruin a relationship, and a whole lot more. Check out this segment from the amazing Jarek Robbins. Most of the time in an argument with another human being, you're not getting the present version of them right now in this moment. What you're getting is a reaction to a trigger that was setting off something from the past. Something that got them somewhere back here. There was a trigger, a landmine, that you accidentally stepped on in this moment. And all of a sudden, that past experience just exploded into this moment. And there, I think the phrase is, don't bleed on people who didn't cut you. Hmm. That's what's happening, though. They're starting to gush all that emotion and all that built up tension, anger, frustration, pain, sadness, whatever it is, explodes just because you accidentally stepped on the landmine that triggered that past experience. And so what's interesting, when people become aware of their own landmines, they can go back and do the healing, which unanchors that and releases it. And I've seen some amazing healing. There's people who can do it through singing. There's people who can do it through dancing. There's people who can do it through body work, like physical adjustments, like a chiropractor. There's people who can do it with pen and paper in a room. There's therapists can do it. Counselors can do it. All kinds of people. But it's the ability to look back and say, I probably have a few. I probably got a few, at least one or two. I'm going to go dig around and find it. What's interesting, that experience, that person that says, I can't love because this happened to me. The moment they go do that work, then you got to have a physical experience where you go somewhere and you consciously choose to love. You choose to flow into another human being. You choose like little light beams shooting, uh, what is it, Cyclops and X-Men? Mm -hmm. Like, boom, beams of love just beaming out and you're pouring it into another human being and you're like, wow, I can choose to love and be safe and protected and guided and honored at the same time. When that unfolds, all of a sudden, you see a human being come back to life. Yeah. It was like a tree where the flowers were dying and all of a sudden the flowers start blooming again. I always break down great relationships, the three pieces, alignment, teamwork. So, so I'll start with these and I'll tell you the third. Alignment, meaning vision, values, beliefs, rules, are they in alignment? Have you consciously become aware of your, on paper, your vision, your values, your beliefs, your rules? Have you written them down, become consciously aware of what you are becoming, going towards, believe, the rules? Anytime someone's upset, it's because you violated one of their rules. And that the rule is, you shouldn't do that. People shouldn't do that. That's a rule. We all have them. I mean, watch the next time you get frustrated with anything, anywhere, listen to the rule in your head. The rule will be like, people shouldn't do that. And then just question it. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just saying question it. Say, why shouldn't people do that? And what happens is you'll hear your beliefs that you've created mm -hmm. around a rule on how other humans should or shouldn't be living their life. That's what pisses us off. The, the action of what they did doesn't. 
the rule we have about them not supposed to be doing that is what actually causes the frustration. And so vision values rules, all that has to be in alignment. One, we got to be aware of our own. Two, we got to become aware of our partners. Three, we got to co-create a new one. Here's what's interesting. When people get in a relationship, they often want the other person to come over to their rules, their beliefs, their values, their vision. I've heard it said in great books where it's like, oh, the masculine energy, whether it's man or woman, the masculine energy needs to be a freight train and invite the feminine energy on board. I was like, that sounds cool and all, but why don't we co-create a relationship together instead of saying, I'll create it and you're welcome to come with me if you want to. That sounds kind of selfish. I was like, why, why don't we co-create this train? Why don't we decide where the tracks are going? Why don't we decide what the rules are on board? And here's the key. When we're on board together, this is the manifesto that we choose to live by. If either of us decide to get off the train, we're our own person. She has her rules, vision, values, beliefs. I have mine, vision, values, rules, beliefs. But when we're on the train together called in relationship, this is what we've both agreed to live by. And I went, ooh, that's powerful. And then I went and started interviewing, asking couples and saying, how many of y'all have done this work? And I haven't met a whole lot who have. Mm, yeah. And that's part of why that train lands up in Disasterville. Because yeah. the work wasn't done. I mean, you're on board a train with someone, you don't know where it's going. <laughs> you don't know what the rules are. You don't know what's good or bad, right or wrong. You don't know what the values are. Who's driving this You thing? don't know who's driving or you're <laughs> both trying to drive. That's a mess. Yeah. Right? That's a relationship people are having. Yeah. I was like, man, we got to become conscious of that. That's like a weekend workshop. You get together with someone, you go, okay, I'm going to identify all mine. You're going to identify all yours. We're going to take a third piece of paper and say, this is ours. And we're going to co-create it over this weekend so that when we choose to be on the train together, we have the outline. The other analogy I use for this, imagine we sit down at a board game. You think we're playing chess. I think we're playing Monopoly. In the beginning, when we're presenting our best self, I'm going to be like, you know, do you want to be the thimble, the train? You choose. And you're like, ha, very funny. Very funny. It's white or black, man. It's black or white. There's no train and thimble, but... I'm cool with you. You're we're cool. We're getting to know each other. I'll let it pass. I'm like, oh, you're like, okay, roll the dice. Or I'm like, roll the dice. You're like, there's no dice in this game, but it's cool. We're just, we like each other. We're just getting to know each other. We'll let it pass. After about 15 more moves, we're ready to kill each other. Hmm. <laughs> like, stop talking about pass and go. Who cares? Like we start coming up with random stuff to piss each other off because we never did the alignment. We never started playing the same game with the same rules, with the same principles, with the same values. And so getting together, one of the main things is alignment. Can you get all the most important pieces in alignment from the beginning or as soon as you become aware? Yeah. I've had people message me and be like, dude, we've been married for 30 years and never thought about this. Is it too late? I was like, no, get in alignment so the next 30 years are better than the first 30 years. Yeah. Like get on the same train. Second piece, so we talk about alignment, teamwork. Are all people rowing in the same direction? Teamwork's big, man. I mean, imagine getting in one of those dragon boats with like 15 rowers, except for seven of the rowers are rowing forward and the other seven are rowing backwards. And then the person in the front just keeps yelling row. 
but doesn't give direction of which way or how hard or anything. There's no way you're going to win the race. And so that next piece is teamwork. Can we get everyone moving in the same direction or similar direction? Can we get everyone willing to put in the same amount of effort? Can we get everyone choosing to show up and do the work together? Be clear on their roles. Yeah, roles and responsibilities. Yeah. I, we interviewed a bunch of couples who were much older. There was a couple who'd been together. They had been married before. They had been divorced before. And they finally figured out how to really make it work for themselves. And they said, what you said, one of the most important things is putting together an org chart for your family. Roles and responsibilities. Who's in charge of what? Because there's a lot of assumptions. Well, you're the mom. You should be in charge of that. I'm the dad. I should be in charge of this. I'm, I'm, I mean, people assume things, which means if you did that in the workplace, the ball would get dropped. A project wouldn't get done. People, I mean, people would be like, hey, what happened to the IT department? It's like, I don't know. thought you were in charge of that. Mm -hmm. Just gone. And so in a family, it doesn't feel very sexy, warm, fun. It doesn't feel very romantic. But it's amazing when there's clarity on it, how much smoother everything goes. And you'll find stuff that you want to do, that you get to do. <laughs> You'll find stuff you don't want to do that you get to do. And then you'll find stuff that you can, you know, at different times trade with each other yeah. and say, hey, I know you don't love to do that. I have space. I'll do that for you. And that's a gift you can give your teammate. You can say, hey, I got you on this time. I got you on, on that piece right there. I, I know you're willing to do it, but you don't love to do it. I'll take it for you when I can. And it's a way you can actually give gifts to each other constantly. Yeah. So alignment, teamwork, third parts, communication, communication. There's so much that's been done in this category. And it's one of the fastest ways to screw up a relationship. Just miscommunication. I've learned the number one rule is check how much sleep the other person is getting. If you want to get a real bad fight, just don't get good sleep for a few nights in a row. Horrible, horrible blow up will happen over time. So number one, sleep. Are they their best selves? Mm -hmm. Sleep, exercise, nutrition. If those are peaking, they're absolutely at their prime and there's still tension, then we go into, ah, do they feel like they are enough? Do they feel like they have enough? Do they feel like they're loved enough? Which of their three buckets aren't full right now? Because I've yet to meet a person that feels like I am enough, I have enough, I'm loved enough, and then they attack another human. <laughs> or they're mean, or they're defensive, or they're aggressive. I've never met one. When someone feels total abundance, I have enough, I, am, I have enough to live life I want to live, I am enough as a human being, I am who I am, and I, I believe I am enough to be who I want to be, and I'm loved enough. I, love is just flowing through me and everything that I do and all that I am. Those people just want to help other people and like pour over into other humans. Yeah. But the moment someone doesn't feel like they're enough, they're going to attack someone else to try to not feel less than. The moment someone doesn't feel loved enough, Again, they're going to be all peculiar in their behaviors because they don't feel that love internally. It's not abundant. Therefore, they're going to try to get it from somewhere else um, and have enough. Again, if someone feels like they don't have enough to live the life they want to live, which is a big thing right now with money. If people don't feel like they have enough, they get real peculiar in their behaviors quickly. Yeah. And so communication first check in. Where is this person at? Do they feel like they have enough, they're loved enough, and they are enough? Do they get enough sleep? Have they eaten? Have they worked out? They're their best self? Okay, good. 
Now, there's two pieces of communication that have been unbelievably helpful from two different sources. One comes from imago therapy, and it's a way to listen. It's a way to listen. There's four steps. Number one, listen. <laughs> and, and you're going to, after they're done talking, you're going to repeat back what you heard. You're going to acknowledge what they heard. And then you're going to empathize. So one is listen. Two is repeat back what you heard. The third part is you're going to acknowledge it. I can see that. And then you're going to empathize. Man, that must feel like this. I was like, there's four steps in listening. <laughs> I was having trouble just listening, especially if my wife accidentally stepped on a landmine and my brain's like, that's not true. I need to tell you my side of the story. I stopped doing step one, which was just listen. And so there's four steps to listening. Now there's three steps in sharing. This was the other part. Ah, I forget who this one comes from. I think John and Julie Gottman. Three steps in sharing. When you did X, that made me feel Y, and what I need is Z. So specifically, like when your feelings are hurt, when the rage monster is boiling, when you're, you can't see straight, like you're about to turn into the Hulk. I feel blank, and you gotta use an emotion. I got called out when I was in my level one course with the Gottman group, because I said, I feel curious and the guy looked at me and he's like curious is not a feeling tell me how you feel a feeling an emotion i was like curiosity could be emotion he's like no it's not keep trying i said what do i feel and i said i feel lost he goes closer he's like what's the feeling i feel uncertain he goes there you go and he goes ah i feel uncertain right now and he goes, why? What happened? And I said, I feel uncertain. When you did this, it made me feel uncertain. Or I chose to feel uncertain when you did this. And what I really need is a little bit more information right now. And he went, he hit the other side. Sounds like you're feeling uncertain. He goes, yeah, I could totally get why you might feel uncertain right now. It's a lot of information you're learning. Man, feeling uncertain probably doesn't feel very good. I mean, I'd feel kind of uneasy too if I was in that position. How can I help? Hmm. I was like, oh, wow. Now, what's interesting, I took this home. I printed out how to say it, how to listen. I handed it to my wife. She says, what do you expect me to be, a freaking robot? <laughs> beep, beep, beep. She's like, we got to communicate. Hmm. We can't just read scripts. Hmm. And I started laughing. I'm like, well, that's the four stages of learning anything. In the beginning, you have to give yourself permission to be horrible at it because you've never done it before. And so be, be horrible at it long enough that you become okay. Be okay at it long enough that you become really good and be good at it long enough that you become great. And so if you give yourself permission to relearn something from the place where you just straight up suck at it, but you're, <laughs> gonna, you're gonna be horrible at it long enough until you be great. That's the promise I make to my wife. In our relationship, if you give me the space, I will be horrible at learning these tools long enough and consistently enough that eventually I'll be pretty good at it. Yeah. And eventually I'll be great and eventually I'll master these things. Right. But I'm willing to be a disaster for her. Next up in our relationship compilation, we have somebody who I've seen firsthand and one of the most influential people that I've seen in this 
topic of relationships and relationship building in, in the real world, somebody who I've been seeing him bring people together, even before we met personally, just seeing him building communities. And when I met him, I just knew that he was the real deal. And he's been a good friend ever since. We've been friends for many years now. And I was able to sit down with him and to extract some of his knowledge and like how is he able to bring people together in the way that he does and fortify so many incredible relationships. And I'm talking about Drew Proit. Now Drew hosts one of the top health and wellness podcasts in the world, the Drew Proit Podcast. He's also the CEO of the Dr. Hyman, Dr. Mark Hyman Brands, the Ultra Wellness Center, and the list goes on and on with his work with Dr. Mark Hyman. And he's also contributed to multiple New York Times bestselling books. And now in this segment, Drew is going to be sharing how our friend groups influence each other's health. All right, this is very, very important, profound information here. And with this knowledge base, how to begin creating intentional friendships. Knowing how our relationships impact us, how can we start to create the relationships, the friendships that are really fruitful and that feed into a culture of health and wellness. Check out this segment from the amazing Drew Proit. The data shows that people who have more friends online, and this was done on face, a Facebook study, tend to have more friends in person too, right? The challenge becomes when we trade our online friends for offline connection that's there. So I don't wanna throw social media under the bus because the truth is, I wouldn't get a chance to meet you, your lovely wife, your kids, if it wasn't for social media connecting us. And some of my deepest, most beautiful friendships have come from first connecting online. But we don't want that to be the only source of connection. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that, man. And so this is just bringing to bear, like there is a lot of data on this. There's a lot of research affirming how important community is. And I heard you mention before, there's a Framingham study, yeah. which I talked about in a different perspective on the show. I think it was in re regards to heart disease or something years ago, but can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So anybody who's familiar with like the Framingham heart study, which was done out of a town in Massachusetts, it was a 30 year study where they collected so many different data points amongst this population set that was very connected to each other. And we've been parsing out, when I say we, the greater you know scientific community, has been parsing that data out there and coming up with conclusions because it was such a long study. So there's so many different analyses that came out of that. One interesting study that came out of that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it was looking at something that was called, uh, the title of the paper is The Spread of Obesity Through Social Networks. They're not talking about Facebook and Twitter, but they're talking about like social networks in person that was right. there. And the hypothesis of the researchers was when one friend has a significant gain in weight or becomes obese, does that affect the people around them? Does that affect their other friends? Does it affect their spouse? Does that affect the weight of their parents? Essentially, the researchers are asking, is obesity a communicable disease? The same way that we would think of the flu or something else that would be out there. And this data set, which was looking at a population of about 12,000 people between 1971 and 2003, found some interesting conclusions. What they found is that when they looked at parents, kids, spouses, uh, and friend group, the biggest influence when one group in that friend network had a significant increase in weight, 
they saw that the biggest influence was their other close friends. In fact, you're 57% more likely to become obese or gain weight yourself when one of your close friends mm. becomes overweight. Just think about the influence that our community has when it comes to the fundamentals of our health, even more than our spouse, even more than our parents. Mm. Dang, that's crazy. And I have some theories on that, right? They, and they talk about this a little bit in the paper. Just think about it social, socially. When your friends are like, oh, dude, you know, for anybody that's taken a period of time where they have not gone drinking, right? And they said, you know what? I don't want to have alcohol right now. I'm just like in my zone. I'm trying to focus a little bit. Then a friend comes to you like, dude, just come out for margaritas, right? It's happy hour. Let's just go. We have this thing inside of us, our mirror neuron ability, where we want to mimic the people that we consider closest to us. So we're going to adopt the behaviors that... Uh, age old phrase, you become the average of the five people around you. Now we're seeing that there's actual data that's there. So in a way, something even like obesity, and then you think about it, how does it relate to also income level, positivity, mental health, the people around us influence us all the time. And sometimes they have the biggest influence in our life more than anybody else. Mm, man, that's facts. That's absolute facts. This for me brings up a really important subject, which is how did this all come to be in the first place, right? Um, where today we are, we have our little pockets, but we have this broader spectrum of influence. But we evolved, humans evolved in cultures and subgroups of friends and community that we depended on. So let's let's kind of take a step back, yeah, and talk about it. how humanity, like we are, we are dependent. We're codependent creatures. It's in, in our DNA. It's in fact, it's so true. No, it, no human being could survive on their own. That's why one of the greatest fears in this day and age is people feeling like not liked by others. That's been programmed into our DNA or being ostracized from community or what do other people think about me? Because part of that was. Our DNA, our genetics are designed to say, well, if I get kicked out of the community, my core survival is at risk. Mm -hmm. If you go back far enough, no human being could survive. Now it's a different story and we'll get to that without being part of a village. You couldn't fetch water, chop wood, hunt and survive and create shelter. And if or your chances were greatly diminished if you wanted to have a longer life that was there. So we needed each other. So reciprocity, a village uh, taking care of each other, looking after each other, having each other's back, working through conflict was built into the DNA of humanity. Then as technology came and it's brought us so many incredible things and I don't de demonize it at all, one of the challenges is where community was baked into our survival, we have something interesting happening right now. We have phones and we have so many things that are uh, beautiful technological advancements that are there, but it's allowing us to not rely on another human being for our survival that we don't know. For example, we have Netflix so we could watch that and we could be entertained by ourselves. We have Uber Eats and we can order food or we can go to a restaurant. And yes, we still may be relying on somebody to keep the power on for these lights or these microphones, but it's often not somebody that we directly know and have a connection with. Right. There's somebody in some, you know, uh, uh, power plant that's keeping the electricity on, but we don't have a direct connection with them. So we are no longer truly reliant on other human beings for the basic survival in the Western mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. that's there. So now friendship and community is not actually about survival and it being baked in so it was all around us. It's actually about thriving. You know, I tell people, you know, 
uh, people say that biohacking is all about the art and science of changing the environment around you to get to an intended result. One of the most incredible biohacks that we have access to is who we surround ourselves with. Mm. Again, the bigger your goals and dreams are in life, if you wanna be up to something amazing, if you wanna create a bubble around you of resilience so you can withstand all the challenges that come from life, the stresses that are there, the tough times of becoming a father for the first time or a mother for the first time, we need people around us who have our back and could go along with us on that journey. So it's truly about thriving now instead of just survival from before. I love that so much. Ultimate biohack is really working towards, because again, like especially people who listen to this show, the folks that you are connected with, as am I, we dive into the nutrition, we dive into the movement practices, sleep is a big thing, but the ultimate thing, the ultimate biohack is our community. And with that said, I think it's important to take a step back and look at, you said something really remarkable, I don't wanna look past. We're hardwired to care what other people think, right? We're hardwired because evolutionarily speaking, if we were outcast or not liked by our tribe, this could mean our survival is at risk. Whereas today, we've got hundreds, thousands, potentially millions of people judging us and we, oftentimes talk about you know not caring. You gotta get to a place where you don't care what other people think, but we're hardwired to care. So how do we, how do we traverse that, that line, man? I would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, you know, they talk about in the book, Sapiens, you know, uh, the author of that, and there's other plenty of books that talk about we are truly hardwired, and there's better experts that can break that down further than me, but here's the important aspect of it. We can't just assume that we're not gonna care what other people think, it's choosing who we wanna put in that bucket yeah. of actually valuing their opinion. Because we don't wanna care about what the media says about society and what they think, of, what we think they think about us, right? We don't wanna care about the person that we don't actually have those deep connections with. But we need to choose people intentionally, that inner circle of friends. Now, remember, we can't choose our family, and there's that old phrase of, you know, uh, friends are the family you choose. Mm. So when you create that circle around you, and even taking a step back further, most of us growing up with the type of friend that was just um, what I call for um, just conversational purposes like logistical friends, meaning that you were in the same physical locality as them. You met them in school, you met them at work, and you just happened to be in the same geographic region, right? Let's call them like geographic friends. Then as a lot of individuals get into like, let's say if they pursue higher education or they, uh, are getting into like adulthood, that's the first time that a lot of people start asking about a more important type of friend, which is intentional friends. Mm. What are your goals and dreams in life? What do you wanna do? What's your plan moving forward from here? Is there a vision that you have for your life? Amazing. Who do you wanna surround yourself with to make that dream more of a reality? You wanna have a hip podcast that's out there? You wanna to move to LA and you bring your family over and feel settled and connected and be invited to like incredible opportunities and things and be happy and healthy? Great, who do I need to surround myself with? Mm. Because none of this is happening on our own. Yeah. So I think it's about choosing and first doing an inventory. Nothing wrong with the friends that you grew up with. I still am friends with a lot of people that I grew up with. But then ask yourself, are they meeting your needs of where you are right now? Are they intentional and purposeful friends? Because when you choose friends intentionally and purposefully, then there's no problem in 
in valuing their opinion and caring what they have to say because you know that they have your back and anything that they share with you or give to you or feedback that's there or even sometimes criticisms which we all need sometimes it's coming from a place of truly lifting you up for your highest good mm. yes 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 man i love this so much listen for a lot of people and i know that i've been in this position as well um, you know, I had my friends when I was a kid, but today as adults, I know that a lot of adults say that, you know, it's harder to make friends as adults. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's harder because when you were a kid, you didn't overthink it and you didn't have a lot of resources. You couldn't drive. So you had, you, you had the community, you had the people that were in your neighborhood and that's all you had. So you either did it or you didn't do it. Yeah. As adults, what happens is that first of all, just like you moved a lot as a kid, what happens is that when people become young professionals, in this day and age especially, they're moving once, maybe twice. So now, instead of having the same friends that you had in college, whether you went to college in the city that you grew up in or not, you're forced to make friends in a new environment where it's not built into it. In college or university, if people have gone, it's kind of like everybody's sh doing a shared experience. Everybody's new. Everybody's trying to figure it out. Yeah. Same thing with uh, high school and middle school. You kind of are in a capacity where it's baked into your living. As adults, the place that people have that the most is in the traditional workforce, right? If they're in corporate America or they're working in an office, they're, but that's still, you're choosing between a very small set of people. Mm. And what you bring up is something very important is that nobody really taught us how as an adult to intentionally make friends. And it turns out that it's a lot like dating. You gotta ask people out which sounds funny to especially a lot of guys, but it's yeah. literally, you're taking somebody out and you're saying like, hey, let's play tennis, let's do this. You're putting out a possibility and an opportunity of hanging out together. And you know, my friend Lewis Howes, who I know you also know too, he says, if you have a hard time imagining, if you're in a town that you don't know a lot of people, you just moved there, how do I even begin to find these individuals? Well, I have two, uh, two tips for those people. One is a quote from Lewis and he says, go to where people grow. If you have a growth mindset, if you're listening to this podcast and you wanna better yourself in every aspect of your life, then you also want friends that are at that same level too. So in your local town or community, where are people going to grow? Is it that local Toastmasters? Is it uh, you know somebody who's invited you to a dinner party of people who are into like a particular book or book club that's there? Where are people going to grow? It could even be that local yoga class or fitness studio or CrossFit or whatever people are into. The second action item is this. When I hear people say, you know, I can't find the right friends, or I just moved somewhere, or I had to fire my old friends because they were toxic. You see a lot of that on Instagram these days, and I don't have new friends that I've replaced them with. I say, think about the last six months. Pull out a sheet of paper. Make a list of just anybody interesting that you met. Usually when I sit down and I have people pull out a piece of paper and actually make a list and go through their calendar. Okay, where was I last month? Where was I hanging out? Oh, you know what? I went to the movies with a buddy of mine and we ran into somebody interesting and they were an author and I thought, I always wanna write a book one day. I never followed up with that person. There's somebody interesting in the last six months that you met that you didn't follow up with. And if you just followed up with them and put out an invitation to do something, go on a hike, play golf, do yoga, do a workout together, grab coffee, that's step one in making intentional friendships. Next up in our relationship compilation, somebody that, again, is a truly influential person in my life. I've known her for over a decade, and she's a best-selling author and founder of one of the biggest 
communities, relationship communities called Rising Woman with a community of over 3 million readers. And the list goes on and on with the accolades and the impact of Shalina Ayana. And in this segment, Shalina is going to be breaking down our faulty cultural messages about love, why we need to qualify people when choosing relationships and much more. Check out this segment from Shalina Ayana. So much of our culture really does tell us that there's somebody outside of us that we're waiting for to come and complete us and make us whole. And so we've all sort of been wandering around with this idea that, you know, I'm looking for my other half, like I'm half a person. And we also have a lot of these beliefs that we're broken somehow. And really when we're operating from that place, there's no way that we're actually going to call in a healthy aligned partner because we don't know who we are and we don't know what we stand for. And so a lot of this book is really a reclaiming in relationship to self. And knowing that when our relationship to self is anchored in truth, then our relationships to everybody else will be anchored in truth, yeah. right? So it's that foundation that we live from. But like I said, there's so much media influence and cultural influence that tells us that we're waiting to find the one in order to be happy. But actually, it's the opposite. Until we are happy within ourselves and we recognize that we are whole, we won't be able to create those kinds of relationships that we want. So it's shifting from fantasy to reality, but in a really beautiful way, right? Because there's actually so much more magic and medicine that can happen when we're anchored in reality. And when we can say, here's who I am, here's what I stand for, here's what I value. And and we go out into the world from that place where we're emanating our essence and then the right people can really come into our lives and I had so many experiences through childhood and and growing up in really dysfunctional chaotic environments that shaped my experience of love and relationship to be really chaotic and dysfunctional I, you could almost not even call it love mm -hmm. right it's just repeating trauma patterns and it's been such a huge journey for me to figure out okay what is at the heart of this you know, if I really want to be in relationship, if I really want to experience love and family and connection, what's in the way? And so much of that for all of us is really our past wounding, our stories, our walls, our guards, all of the defenses that we've built to protect our hearts because along the way we learned that that's what we had to do. Yeah. And I think ultimately relationship is the, the greatest gift, right? Like we're literally here to be in relationship. If we're not in relationship, what are we here for? Like we know that our health improves when we're in relationship. We know that one of the leading causes of depression is loneliness. And that's not just to say romantic relationship. This is just friendship, family connection, community. Like it's literally wired into us. We need it to survive. And yet we don't prioritize it or we approach it very nonchalantly. Like we just fall into relationship. Your life partner, your romantic partner, that is such a big decision, mm. right? But we don't actually set a foundation for that we don't prepare um and i i want to change that yeah that's yeah. power like the way you even said that that's it's remarkable because we're not we abandon logic in a sense when we when we're doing the relationship thing you know and love has its own logic emotion has its own logic and this is even speaking to the communication and connection that we have just within our species you know like some of the conflicts that I might have with my wife, mm -hmm. which, you know, she's my best friend, you know, she's amazing. 
Um, but it's me, I'm a very, I tend to be very logical and like analytical and just, you know, that's just how I roll. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she might have something that I'm just like, that's not logical. But using that language with her and also me saying that, ultimately, if I really want to pick this apart, that's not a logical statement for me to say it's not logical mm -hmm. because her emotion has a logic to it, mm -hmm. you know? And so, but I think it's kind of like uh, we fall, like, like you said, we fall into it. We fall in love. Mm -hmm. Are you going to get up though? You know, like, it's just <laughs> like, so coming into it as more of a complete person, and this is what you're really advocating, mm -hmm. because I think that, and let's talk about this. One of the things that folks experience consistently is this pattern, like you, you even said the word pattern, of being in the same type of relationship or attracting the same type of people. It might not be exactly the same, but the same trauma pattern. So yeah. let's talk a little bit more about that, specifically what a trauma pattern is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, most of us have a script that we're, we're living out, right? We're, we're running on a story that we either inherited or that we began to create when we were very young. And usually that conditioning has happening in our first family environments, right? What are we observing about love and about connection and about communication and safety? And, you know, are we safe to express ourselves? Are we not? All of these things. And we eventually, you know, we become adults or at least we have adult bodies. <laughs> and, right. and then we end up in, you know, these romantic partnerships where, you know, we don't realize it, but we're actually wanting to resolve some old wounds. We're wanting to get complete on some of those things. And especially we're wanting to be seen, heard and understood in the ways that we didn't feel like we were when we were young. And the challenge is, is that when we attract partners, they almost always mirror our wounds and they're usually opposite to us in some way. Like even, you know, how you're talking about you and Anne and of course, you know, Ben and I are the same. It's like, I'm more emotional. He's more logical. So it's like, he's more head, I'm more heart, but we have to come together and understand that. And ultimately these are containers for growth. But what happens is that we just play out these patterns where we see our partners as our enemies. And that sounds really extreme and people will be like, I don't think that, but it's like, look back at your past relationships. How many of those ended uh, catastrophically and did you blame them for everything? Or how many relationships have we ended because we felt like there was just something wrong with that partner and we were out looking for the one, right? Because, oh, you're just not the one. And really these are, these are trauma patterns that are playing out. And again, too, a lot of the times we can experience things like repeated rejection or abandonment or everything will feel like abandonment because we're conditioned for that. And that was a big part of my story, right? The abandonment wound and that awakening around it was what catalyzed this entire journey for me. You mentioned that somewhere along the way, a lot of people learn that they have to sacrifice themselves mm -hmm. in order to be loved. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes hand in hand with what I was just talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so many of us have learned that, right? Like I said, in our family systems, uh, in the culture that we live in, in workplaces, it's like we're always, we're doing what the thing that we think we need to do to get paid or to get approval or to, you know, get validated in some way. And, you know, especially, you know, for those of us who grew up in tumultuous family environments, usually there were parts of ourselves that we were not allowed to show or share in order to stay safe, right? And a lot of times that's our emotional side or our anger, which is our boundaries. So how many of us learned that we can't set boundaries, right? Because it's too dangerous. 
and we've just internalized that right and so we're literally self-abandoning every time we're in relationship because we don't have that tether to you know it's okay to say no and i'm allowed to ask for what i want and my needs are also important you know and so we see a lot of people in relationship where they're saying oh my relationships don't get past three months or you know i keep getting cheated on or you know they keep getting bored and then just ghosting and of course you know there's lots going on with the person who's on you know the other end of that no doubt this isn't a blame game but my question is always were you showing up fully expressed like were you showing them your truth your anger like were you being boundaried you know because in my experience when a person shows up fully authentic and they know who they are and they have boundaries and they have things that they love and that they're passionate about we're just drawn to those people Mm -hmm. right we're just like magnetically drawn in versus when you can feel that a person isn't being truthful or that they're holding back or that you know they don't feel like they belong you know then you can feel that too and so we really have to look at the ways that we are not honoring ourselves in order to try to to get love because the kind of love that we're going to get when we're selling out like that it's not real if you have to change who you are if you have to put on a mask you know, if you have to dim your light in order to be accepted like that's not the kind of relationship you want and i'll tell you the kind of partner that you do want is the kind of partner that's going to get turned on by your no and by your fire and by your edges you know um, i think we all like a little challenge <laughs> and a, a good healthy relationship should challenge you it shouldn't be easy all the time it shouldn't always be yes you know and there should be some negotiation and i think that's part of what keeps the spark going is both of us showing up truthful even when that means that there might be conflict i want to talk about because you get very granular Mm -hmm. in things and and a healthy relationship or a healthy inner relationship and you outline what some of these ingredients are Mm -hmm. in building that healthy inner relationship and i want to go through a few of these one of them is building confidence and Mm self-trust let's talk about that yeah when we don't believe in ourselves when we don't trust our inner instincts and our our red flag you know gut messages where something feels off or something doesn't feel right then we're more likely to allow situations that are not serving our highest good you know when we aren't confident when we think that we're less than we're more likely to draw in people who will take advantage of us or who will, you know, belittle us and and not see us in our highest light. And again, it's tough with this stuff sometimes because people might hear that and think that, oh, it's my fault that I was victimized, but that's never the case. That's never what we're talking about. But what I am saying is, is that the energy that we're carrying and the beliefs that we're carrying about ourselves are going to show up in the people that we let into our lives. And we have to be able to trust our bodies, to trust our guts, and to really be connected to ourselves so that we can say no when we need to say no, right? Like the classic example is somebody who really wants to be in a relationship. If you really want to be in a relationship, but you don't think you're worthy or you don't think you're good enough or you don't have confidence to, to listen to your body, then you might just say yes to anyone who walks through the door, right? Because maybe you don't think anyone else is going to choose you versus knowing who you are and having the confidence and the clarity to qualify a person 
Mm. So it's like going from the, the being in the seat of waiting to be chosen versus I'm the chooser here, right? So I'm going to choose whether or not this is a relationship that I want to engage in versus going to a date and saying, oh, I hope they think I'm pretty and I hope they like me and, you know, I hope I don't say the wrong thing so that they'll want to be with me. How do you even know if you want to be with this person? You haven't asked any questions. You haven't qualified them, mm. right? Do they align? And so I really invite people to tune into their bodies and to really listen. Like, how, do your, how does your body feel right now when you're with this person? Like, do you feel relaxed? Do you feel constricted? Like, is it easy for you to laugh together? You know, like how in yourself are you right now? Or have you just left the building? Mm -hmm. And and so that's really one of the first things that we wanna take a look at, you know, if we're in that process of looking for partnership. And another one of these for creating a healthy inner relationship is staying true to your values. Mm -hmm. Let's talk yeah. about that one. Yeah, I mean, core values is a really fundamental piece of who we are right? If we know what we value, then we know what to say yes and what to say no to. And that reflects our environment, how we treat ourselves, how we treat other people, how our relationships to our bodies and to the planet look. It's everything. And so many of us don't ask ourselves, what do we value? We don't know. And so a lot of times in relationship, we're actually just behaving like animals right we like get turned on by somebody and then we pursue it because we feel turned on right we find somebody attractive and they you know they turn a light on for us and so we pursue that as if that's the end all be all and entering into conscious relationship space that might just be one piece right of course attraction and chemistry is important right we want to feel attraction and chemistry with our partner but that's just one value right you know sensuality or chemistry that's one value what about genuine authenticity right what about being integral and being kind right what about being disciplined or generous right like these are things that i know are important to me they're probably important to you and we all have different values. Some of us have, you know, high scientific values. Some of us have high spirituality values, religious values, right? And so if we're going to get clear on who we are as a person, then we can say, okay, well, you know, here's what I value. You know, what do you value? You know, and do these values align? Like, can we walk a path together or is it not a match? And when we're doing more than just listening to our bodies get turned on you know when we're dating or in relationship we're following more than just that roller coaster rush of emotions or that honeymoon phase and then we're slowing down to enter this space of like i said before negotiation where you can really get to know each other and negotiate a relationship and how that relationship's going to look instead of just falling into it and hoping that it turns out the way you're imagining you know, maybe you guys both have completely different realities of how relationships should look, but you didn't talk about that, you know? So it's important that we take that time. And so when we've gone through a cycle of breakups or relationship patterns that are exhausting for us, we want to return to the values and say, okay, well, what values was I prioritizing in that relationship? And for a lot of us, it's like something physical, you know, or, you know, there's like affection you know we, we we value affection 
And so maybe that was the only thing that was there, but there was all these other things in the way that made it an unhealthy relationship to be in. So what are the values that we prioritize? You know, what are the, we have to have these in order to have a relationship with someone versus these are the nice to haves, or this is part of what makes me me and I'm open to somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't share that value. It's really getting clear. And now to close things out in our powerhouse compilation on building healthy relationships, we have the man himself who's the director of that longest running study on human longevity that we talked about to open this episode, specifically, again, identifying that our relationships are the number one influential factor on our longevity. And I'm talking about Dr. Robert Waldinger. Dr. Waldinger works in psychiatry and psychology at Harvard University, and he's just an absolute wealth of knowledge. And in this segment, he's going to be sharing the background on that longest running study on human longevity and the impact of our relationships, the surprising truth about conflicts in relationships. You're going to really want to listen to that one and the power of curiosity in our relationships. Check out this segment from Dr. Robert Waldinger. So when I had the opportunity to take over this study that had tracked hundreds, now thousands of lives for so many years, I thought this would be the coolest thing to devote my time to. This is so unusual that that a single study of the same people has lasted 85 years. Yeah. But the thing that surprised us was that the people who stayed healthy and lived the longest were the people who had the warmest relationships with other people. Um, and when we found that, we didn't believe it at first. So we, we thought, how could this be? I mean, okay, having good relationships could make you happy. That makes sense. But how could it get into your body and predict that you'd be less likely to get coronary artery disease or that you'd be less likely to get arthritis or that you would live longer? How could that possibly happen? The best hypothesis with some good data is that it's about stress, that good relationships seem to be stress relievers. And I'll explain. So, you know, when something happens to us, you have a really upsetting thing happen during your day, you get a ticket or some medical crisis happens, you can literally feel your body change. Your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up. It's called fight or flight mode. And and we want our bodies to respond that way. But then when the threat is removed, we want our bodies to come back to baseline. Yeah. And one of the things you'll notice is that, you know, if you have something upsetting happen in your day and, you know, you're thinking about it and you're upset about it, if you have somebody at the end of the day you can talk to about that and you, you're able to talk to them, you can literally feel your body calm down and go back to that equilibrium. What if you don't have anybody you can talk to like that? And so we think what happens is that people who are more isolated, lonely, less connected, that those people stay in a kind of low level fight or flight mode of chronic stress, higher levels of stress hormones circulating in their bodies, higher levels of inflammation all the time, breaking down body systems slowly but gradually. And so that's what we think 
is one of the main drivers of how relationships can either improve our health or the lack of good relationships can break it down. Now, here's the, the biggest question, right? We know that our relationships obviously have a huge influence on our lives, but I think we have this very romantic idea about relationships. You know, you complete me and the whole thing. You yeah, know. yeah. But what actually constitutes a good relationship? And I think it's gonna be surprising for people because we mm -hmm. think super smooth sailing, no problems. <laughs> no, yeah. no. In fact, we found that like many of our most stable couples fought like cats and dogs. <laughs> but the difference, so it wasn't the amount of arguing you did. It wasn't even the amount of anger. What it was when we actually watched couples on video having an argument, it was whether you could see a bedrock of affection and respect, even when people were arguing. So what we know about the best relationships is, first of all, there are always disagreements, always. And the question is, how do we manage those disagreements? Can we find ways to work out those inevitable conflicts? I want this and you want that. Always going to happen. The question is, can we find a way to work things out so that neither of us feels like we've won or lost, that we both feel okay about each other and ourselves when we emerge from working out a conflict. That's the key, not whether disagreements happen because those are always gonna happen. Let's talk about the counter side and what you've seen in the data over the years with relationships that tend to not work out or to have a lot of friction. Yeah. Well, some of it does have to do with inflexibility. Mm -hmm. So as one person changes, the other person says, I don't want you to change like that. That's not okay with me. And then they're stuck, not being able to figure out a way to be together. Um, and so I think what we hope to encourage is that for the relationships we care about, that we adopt a kind of curiosity about who this person in my life is today not who they were yesterday, but but who are they today? Especially with family members we grew up with. I mean, think about it. If you grew up with siblings, like you might have had an older sibling who you thought was always bossy. Well, maybe 20, 30 years later, that's not what's going on in your relationship. But what if you keep imagining that it is, yeah. right? So we have to bring that kind of curiosity to our ongoing relationships and say, okay, what's here now? That I, that I haven't seen before in you and in our relationship. So fascinating. Now, if you could, because again, we don't get a lot of training on this, if at all. We're just kind of thrust into our relationships. Yeah. And our textbook is usually, you know, Hollywood movies I on know. how it's supposed to I be, know. you know? So having these skills, like you just mentioned, it's not an absence of conflict. And that's important. I think that's, first and foremost, a really important tenet for us to understand, right? Yeah. Because we have this romantic idea that we should just be, everything's peaceful, all this stuff. And not to say that we don't have peace as well, but in the face of inevitable conflict, I think you even said the word inevitable earlier. Yeah. In, in the face of an in inevitable conflict, in those moments when it's happening, you mentioned a foundation of intimacy still existing, Yes. right? So can we talk more about that? Like what are some of the things that we can do personally when we're in a conflict with the person that we love and we care about and for us to more gracefully handle these situations 
Yes. So first of all, when you feel anger come up or a sense of threat, oh, you know, we're in a conflict, we disagree. The first thing is just to slow everything down if you can. Um, because one of the problems is we all want to react right away and, and make it go away. The conflict, the upset, the anger. And the hardest thing to learn, but the most useful is to slow it down, to let your reaction come up and, and remember that it's going to pass away. You're not always going to be this upset. And even to say to your partner who you're having the conflict with, let's take a time out. Let's come back and talk about this later. I'm, I'm feeling really upset right now. It would be better for me to go away, calm down, and for us to talk about it again. Um, and kids can do that too. Uh, kids can do that with each other. We can do it with our kids. And so slowing things down is probably the, the first step when it's possible. Mm. Um, and then also being curious. Rather than assuming that we know why somebody said what they said or yeah. did what they did, just be curious. Okay, tell me, what, what made you say that? What were you thinking about? Or how come you did that? You know, and not accusing, just curious. Because often our, the assumptions we make about somebody else turn out not to be true. Uh, but we can act on those assumptions and do all kinds of harm to yeah. everybody. Yeah, and we start linking things together. Yeah. You know, like we might have a, and this is kind of like a longitudinal versus cross-sectional thing where we have a snapshot situation here that we're dealing with but we related to this whole breadth of other yeah, things, yeah. right? Why do we do that? <laughs> you know, and the, the worst thing you can say in an argument is you always, or you never. Nobody always does anything. Nobody never does, it's, it's, you know, it just doesn't, there's no always, there's no never. But what we do is we, we say, okay, it's always been like this. You're, you always say those things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not true. So the, one of the pointers is to just take this moment and this incident for what it is, not as some global confirmation of the, the eternal truth. <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about this in, in my relationship with my wife about not speaking in extremes. Yeah. Right, because we, can t we tend to do that, but to catch ourselves doing that. Yeah. And also something super valuable. It's not just for us to, I think awareness is so powerful, obviously, to be aware of how we're feeling and start to question ourselves, right? To be curious within ourselves too. But externally, yes, asking questions, being curious is so powerful to find more clarity because we come to our own assumptions and paint these whole stories. But also internally being curious about, for example, like if I'm having a conflict with my wife, my best friend, we love each other so much and just love being around each other for me to be aware of like, what is her state? You know, mm. like maybe she's being sensitive about a thing or, you know, whatever the case might be. And just like, did she have a tough day? Did she stress, whatever. For me to start to paint her in a better light rather than like somebody who's, I'm a victim. Right. All of a sudden. Right. Right. So what about that capacity to just be more, I guess that's being, that's an extension of compassion and understanding. Yeah, you know, and as you said, you have a gratitude practice. So one of the things, if you can bring yourself to do it in the moment is to remember all the things you're grateful for about this person. Wow, yeah. Like 
wow, what if I never saw her again? Oh my gosh, right? And so even though she's just made you mad, right? The other thing, you know, as you were saying, you can start to ask yourself questions like, what's upsetting me so much about this? Why am I getting so worried about this? If I think that she said something a little nasty. Okay, it happens. Why am I so upset right now? You know, because that's another way to just slow it down and to be more curious about what's going on. Yeah. And this is what's so powerful and remarkable about us as a species. You know, we have the ability to do these things. But I think what hinders us is just our desire to to be right. Mm. And can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, There's another Zen quote that I'll use because I love this quote and it helps me a lot. Um, in Zen, we talk about beginner's mind, trying rather than to be right and to assume that you're, you know what you're talking about, to bring that kind of awareness of there's so much I don't know about any situation, yeah. including my relationship with this person, right? It's called beginner's mind. And so the encouragement is bring, bring a beginner's mind, uh, a know-nothing in the best sense mind to your next encounter with somebody you see all the time. And the saying in Zen is, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if we think, well, I'm an expert in this person, yeah, you've kind of closed off a lot of possibility. Thank you so very much for tuning into this episode. Again, this is the most influential factor on our health and longevity. We know how much good relationships impact how we feel and when the challenges show up, when the rocky aspects of relationships, there's nothing that can throw our solar system out of whack, throw our planet off its axis like our closest relationships. And the same thing holds true that there's nothing else more powerful that can hold up and create order, support order and beauty and grace in our life experience as our healthy relationships. And so this is something that we need to learn about. If it's this important, don't you think this is something that we should make a study? We should truly invest our time and energy and find out like, how does this stuff work? Because many of us grew up in conditions where we don't get access to this kind of information. And so again, make this a study Put these things into practice, most importantly, and please share this out with the people that you love, that you care about. You can share this out on social media, of course. Take a screenshot of the episode and tag me. I would love to see that. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram. And also, of course, you can send this episode directly from the podcast app that you are listening on. We've got some incredible masterclasses and world-class guests coming for you very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.